With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. What's up, YouTube? I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries. SoundTheTrumpetMinistries.com. And today we're going to do a teaching called the Nakushten. Okay? Called the Nakushten. Now, why we're going to go here tonight is we're going to get the true definition of what this is. If you guys look at the thumbnail, it's a picture of a staff with a serpent around the staff. So we know that this in itself is the staff that Moses lifted up in the wilderness. We, many of us are familiar with that story, but tonight we're going to get some understanding as to what this thing means. What's the significance of the staff and what Nehushtan or Nehushtan actually means. Hey, Sister Sarah, so you know, this is what we're going to be going into tonight because we're going to find it has a lot to do with our spiritual walk. It has a lot to do with Jesus Christ, and it even has a lot to do with many of the practices that you guys see today that are taking place. Hey, Sister Melissa. So that's what we're going to be focused on tonight. We're going to be talking about the Nehushtan because a lot of these things have never gone away. There are so many things in our lives that we put trust in more than we do in Jesus Christ. And you see, that's when things become error. Like you guys may find in many cases, you know, as far as the Catholics, I don't consider them Christians, but, you know, a lot of people walk around with the rosary beads. A lot of people have a Buddha in their home. A lot of people worship a lot of these holidays that they probably shouldn't be. And there's just so much going on with it. But we're going to find out what this thing is all about. Why is it that you have these things today? And how are these practices being used today? This is going to be very, very, very significant to our walk and understanding what the spirit is in terms of what is spirit and what is flesh. What is of Jesus Christ? and the things that he wants, and the things that he does not want. So that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. That's what we're going to be getting into. It's called the Nakushten, okay? So let's pray, because I got a lot to cover tonight, a lot to read, a lot for you guys to get into. So let's get into that, and then from there, we will get right into this lesson. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, in Jesus' name, we come before you, Lord, with bowed heads and humbled hearts. We thank you, Lord, for another day not promised to us. And we just ask, Lord God, that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that you've given me with my brothers and sisters, both near and far, that we have yet another day to be partakers of your word, to be edified by your spirit, Lord, that we may choose life and not death. And we just pray, Lord, tonight that no man's heart be heard in his teaching. We pray, Lord God, that no flesh be glorified, but only by your spirit, only by the Holy Ghost that we invite to come, Lord, and to teach us your word. The spirit of truth, he that is meant to bring us into all truth and righteousness, 
We pray, Lord God, that you speak tonight, that you teach what needs to be taught, that we do all according to your will. For we know, Lord, that you are good and your mercy endures forever. So we just pray, Lord, that you open the eyes, the ears, the minds, and the hearts, that people may choose you, that people may see that there are things that we put in front of you or in place of you, which is the spirit of Antichrist. And those things ought not to be so, because Lord, if we are the temple of the living God, then we've got to go according to what you want for your people, that we may serve you the way that you call us to. So we just pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention and confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief and idolatry. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name that you bind the devil, that you keep us at bay, Lord, you keep the devil at bay, that you allow us, Lord, to know what you desire for your people and that we may see the things that may hold us back. For you are the King of Kings, you are the Lord of Lords, you are faithful just and true and worthy of all praises. We pray, Lord God, and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor. Let your people get a victory in you this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we're gonna get right into this lesson. Hey, Brother Sal, hope all is well with you, bro. And um, yeah, we're gonna get right in. Uh, I just got a message, so give me a quick second. Uh, that's our little sister Tatiana. She was asking if there was a study tonight. And I'm like, yeah, you know, even the days that we've had holidays that, you know, a lot of people didn't show up for Bible study and things went on. We still went forward with it. Why? Because Jesus Christ is more important than anything. And hopefully that'll be the point that we bring forward tonight, that we must worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, that we must obey him and put nothing before him that we can have the victory that is in Jesus Christ and give him the true glory and honor that he deserves above everything. He should have preeminence in our lives above anything that we can think about that may be as important, okay? So let's get in, guys. Let's go to Numbers 21. I'm gonna start in Numbers 21, and we are going to begin at verse one. Numbers 21 and one. I hope my brothers and sisters are doing well out there tonight. You know, if you guys have any prayer requests or any questions about tonight's teaching, please put them in the description box, okay? Because with all we get, we should have understanding, all right? I'm just not here to entertain. I'm not here to just talk. I am here that brothers and sisters may get some understanding that they may draw closer to the Lord and do the things that he calls them to do. Uh, hey, Sister Tatiana. So let's get in, guys. Numbers 21, and let's look at verse one. It says, and when King Arad, the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard uh, heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, if thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. 
and the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites and they utterly and they were utterly destroyed. Well, they utterly destroyed them and their cities and he called the name of the place Hormah. If you guys wanna look at the name Hormah and what it means, this is H2767 and it means devotion. Now, why is this important? Why did God give Israel the okay? to take out their enemies because God wants to do away with the very enemies that you and I may have in our lives. That's why it's so important that we remove idolatry from our midst because you see where we might've had images in the Old Testament and things that people built up, we later have in the New Testament where the Bible talks about casting down imaginations. So you see imaginations are things that we can have that can be outside of God because inspiration itself means to be breathed upon by a spirit. Some of the thoughts that you and I can have are not ours, but they can be demonically driven, which is why we must take every thought captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ, according to his word and according to his spirit that we may do the will of the Lord. So, you know, yeah, they slayed their enemies here, but you see these enemies in the New Testament would be a type of demons. So this is what we gotta look at. We must have demons eradicated from our lives, eradicated from our temples that we may fully serve the Lord. So he says in verse four, and they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses, wherefore have we uh, have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loathe of this light bread. So what we see here going on with the people is this. They began their journey for the Lord to go and do what they needed to do to their enemies. But then along the journey, you know, these people got a little worn out. It took more than they were willing to pay or willing to go through. So as you can see, as the road got rough, these people get going. They began to go back to the world and think about the world, imagine the world, how good Egypt was to them, even though they were slaves. They misunderstood that they were being set free by the Lord to follow and do according to his will. So now they're speaking against God and against Moses. They wish that they would have gone back to Egypt because they feel like they're gonna die in the wilderness. For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loathe this light bread. So they hate the manna. They hate all these other things that God was providing for them. They wanted to go back to Egypt and have some liver and onions and, you know, and garlic and fish and all this other stuff that the world can give you. But as you can see, guys, these things are displeasing to God. We got to make sure that we are not murmurers and complainers, but we have to take every situation as it goes. And we've got to put our trust in God. Because if we've got Jesus Christ, we've got everything. And that's why the Bible tells us the first and great commandment of the law is to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Even though he pulled these people out of Egypt, 
He could not take the Egypt out of them because they, they still had their hearts there. They didn't want to go along the long journey of what it took to what you would say um, in the spirit with us today to be sanctified. They didn't want to do what was necessary to be able to be full and to seek a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I know this is not what it's saying, guys, but I'm giving you revelation and understanding as to why these people turn away and why we may have an understanding of why many of us turn away from the things that God wants. So look at verse six, and the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people and much people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Now you see how Moses wasn't selfish. Hey, brother Randy, hope all is well, man. But you see how Moses wasn't selfish when he said, no, y'all spoke against me. You guys fend for yourselves. This is the way that Moses is a type of Jesus Christ. Moses was such a faithful servant that regardless of what the people did, he kept his relationship fresh with the Lord and he didn't take it personal, the things that they had done to him. Now, you know, later that changes because it was meant for leadership to change because Joshua was going to be the one that brought them into the promised land, which was a type of Jesus. But if you look at Moses's intercession here for Israel, it's just really interesting how he loved the people no matter what. Look at verse eight. And the Lord said unto Moses, make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. Now this is very significant because you got a serpent on the pole that the Lord told him to make an image for this time. And if these people would look on the servant, I mean, on the um, serpent that they would live. Now, this is not serpent worship. This is not worshiping the devil. But one thing we need to understand the significance concerning this and Jesus Christ is this one thing. When Jesus went to the cross, he took Adam and he took the serpent seed to the cross, okay? We know that our flesh had become corrupted because it was enticed by the devil. Man gave the devil free reign over his life, which meant that man became more beast-like than he became God-like. So when Jesus went to the cross, he took Adam, he took the serpent seed, he took all sin for all men that we may find our life in Jesus Christ, that we may be born again and will inherit eternal life. So that's what this serpent, it's got deeper meanings, but if you look at it here, if these people looked on the serpent on the pole when they were bitten, they would live. What does that tell you and I today? We need to keep our eyes focused and fastened upon Jesus Christ. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in Oboth, uh, in Oboth, and they journeyed from Oboth and pitched in, man, Lejibarim, uh, uh, I guess that's how you say it, in the wilderness, which is before Moab towards the sun rising. From thence they removed and pitched in the valley of Zered. From thence, uh, they removed the pitch 
on the other side of Arnon, uh, which is in the wilderness that cometh out of the coast of the Amorites in Arnon is the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. Okay, I don't wanna go too far into this, but you guys get the point. This is what happened in Numbers 21. They began to murmur and complain against Moses and against God, but God told them people were dying. God sent fiery serpents among them. Okay, this is what you want. You know, God proclaimed the judgment on them, but God said through Moses's intercession, hey, make a serpent on the pole. And if they look upon this serpent that is on the pole, this thing of brass, that they would be, they would be saved and they would live. Okay, so we got some understanding on what that's about. Now we're gonna get into a story, you know, concerning what happened to Israel when they took their eyes off of the Lord, they were enslaved. You know, Israel themselves, you know, they, no matter how much God warned them and told them what they needed to do, they still went their own way and did their own things. And as our parents have told us, and as we know as true, you know, a hard head makes a soft behind. So let's move on. Let's go to 2 Kings 17, and let's begin at verse 24. 2 Kings 17, and verse 24. Now, you know, this was the time that Israel themselves took their eyes off of the Lord and they had their personal battle with the Assyrians. But let's look at what caused it. So 2 Kings 17, look at verse 24. And the king of Israel brought men from Babylon and from Kutha, and from Ava, and from Hamath, and from Surfering, or Surfavain, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel, and they possessed Samaria and dwelt in the cities thereof. And so it was at the beginning of their dwelling there that they feared not the Lord, therefore the Lord sent lions among them, which slew some of them. So as you can see, a very similar thing is happening to Israel here. They lost the fear of the Lord and got themselves judged by the Lord. The Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and understanding. So we see here, now that they've lost the fear of the Lord, God had to proclaim judgment and sent lions about the people, you know, um, and it slew some of them. Look at verse 26. Wherefore they spake to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations which thou hast removed and placed in the cities of Samaria uh, know not the manner of the God of the land. Therefore he hath sent lions among them, and behold, they slay them, because they know not the manner of the God of the land. So when you lose sight of God and you don't have understanding of who God is, you are going to be subject to your enemies. That's why the devil is walking all over much of the church today is because the devil can see that what's going on in many of these religious institutions is there is no God of the Bible. The devil knows proper headship. The devil knows proper authority. And more importantly, the devil knows when God is with you. These guys lost fear of the Lord and they were judged now that their enemies know it. They're gonna make a move on Israel. Look at verse 28. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria 
came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Howbeit every nation made gods of their own. So even though this priest came from Samaria to teach them how to fear and worship the Lord, it says, howbeit every nation made gods of their own and put them in the houses of the high places, which the Samaritans had made every nation in their cities wherein they dwelt. So what are they involved in here? Idolatry. And idolatry is one of the surest things to anger the Lord. Two things that God mentions all the time are an abomination. One is homosexuality. The other is idolatry. These things make the Lord jealous. They make him angry because he's been so good to us that we don't have a need for another God. That just has to be something that you desire of your own. It's not because God isn't worthy. So look at verse 30. And the men of Babylon made Sokopeneth, uh, and the men of Kuth made Nurgle, and the men of Hamath made Ashima. That's why it's important, guys, that we get a concordance and we understand what some of these things are. Because if you look at Sokobinoth, that word is H5524. And that word means the daughter's booth. And it says, Assyrian or Babylonian deity worshiped by the Babylonians and Samaritans uh, in Samaria. So what did they do? They brought in Babylonian idols and Babylonian gods and, and um, to the men. And then it talks about the men of Kuth. They brought Nurgle. Look at Nurgle. This is H5370. That word for Nurgle is hero. And it says one of the chief deities of Assyria and Babylon and worshiped by the men of Kuth. So what we're looking at here is these people are seeking, in many ways, another hero more than God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. When you and I put more trust in anything, I don't care if it's our families, than we do God, we've got a brand new hero. We've got someone else that we think will sustain us and look after us. So look at the next one. And it says that they brought in, uh, let's see, uh, Ashima. This is H807, and that word means guiltiness, I will make desolate. So as you can see, they brought in another God, you know, another idol that a lot of these people are going after. And you see what this thing does? It brings guiltiness, and then it says, I will make desolate. So you see, idols in your life remove the presence of God, takes God right out of the temple, in the areas that he should fill. And what does it do to you and I? Keeps us from being fruitful and causes us to be desolate. But anyway, that's what these false gods are doing. And the Avites made uh, Nibhez and Tarkak and the Servavites burnt their children in fire and Adremelech and Anemelech, the gods of Serfarvain. So what you see here is, more gods being brought in. And what were the people doing? They were sacrificing their children to them. If you want to know if an atmosphere is not saturated with the spirit of God and that, you know, uh, people are sacrificing their children, the surest thing you're going to see, okay, is that there are idols in the land. 
when people stop caring about what God says and people begin to worship all these other practices, then no one can tell, even the women today that think that abortion is okay, no one can tell them that this is murder. You know why? Because they call themselves their own God. I am my own God. I'm my own person. I do what I feel is right in my sight. It is a woman's right to choose is what you're hearing. And why are they saying this? There is no fear of God. Why is there no fear of God? They've got other gods and idols in their lives. Feminism is a spirit. Feminism itself is a God, okay, that a lot of people are worshiping today, puffing themselves up and not going according to the biblical standard that God wants us to have. So look at verse 32. So they feared the Lord, okay, and made unto themselves of the lowest of them priests of the high places, which sacrificed for them in the houses of the high places. It says, they feared the Lord and served their own gods after the manner of the nations whom they carried away from then. So another thing that we are looking at here, guys, and this is so true, okay? These people, it says that they feared the Lord and they served their own gods. So what are these people? Double-hearted, double-minded. That's much of what you see going on in idolatrous church today. If you were to tell them or use the Lord's name in vain, they would tell you, oh, no, no, no. Don't you lose, use the Lord's name in vain. And then from there, they'll turn right into Easter worship and Christmas worship. They'll still love the world, all the cares of this life, all the things that are in the world. And somehow they believe that they've got the fear of God. But you see, a double-minded man, as the Bible says, is unstable in all of his ways, that that man can't receive anything from the Lord. Look at verse 34. Unto this day, they do after the, uh, after the former manners, they fear not the Lord, neither do they after their statutes or after their ordinances or after the law and commandment which the Lord uh, commanded the children of Jacob whom he named Israel. Now, you know, when you look at Israel, that means God prevails, but it's also Israel was what Jacob was named as a type of wife to God, like God's woman or God's bride. Look at verse 35, with whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them saying, ye shall not fear other gods, nor bow yourself to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt with great power and a stretched out arm, him shall ye fear and him shall ye worship and to him shall ye do sacrifice. So one thing about our Lord is he will never tolerate another God in your presence. A God to you is anything that you give more time to more reverence and more concern than God. So that just makes our imaginations run wild where we get to really look around our homes. We get to really look at the relationships that we have. We look at what we think of our jobs and everything that we hold dear to us because this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with Israel who are God's people, much like the church is today, but they are serving and fearing other gods. 
So look at um, look at verse 37 and the statutes and the ordinances and the law and the commandment which he wrote for you. Ye shall observe uh, to do forevermore and ye shall not fear other gods. And the covenant that I made with you, ye shall not forget. Neither shall ye fear other gods, but the Lord your God ye shall fear. And he shall deliver you out of the hand of all your enemies. Howbeit they did not hearken, but they did after their former manner. So these nations feared the Lord and served their graven images, both their children and their children's children, as did their fathers, so do they unto this day. You wanna see where the traditions of men come from? You wanna know why there's no fear of God in the land? Because parents are not showing their kids the fear of the Lord. You even got ministers and pastors themselves that are not showing people the fear of the Lord. What are people giving God today? Strange fire. It doesn't matter as long as you stick God's name on it and we have a good old time, we can just do whatever we want. But you know what? Read Leviticus 10 in your spare time, how Aaron's two sons were struck dead by God because they gave strange fire. You see, there's no fear of God. We think that any idol or anything that we want to stick God's name to is good enough for us. But what we are going to see is that God is going to judge all idolatry. God is going to cut this thing up to such a place that either we're going to follow him or we're going to find ourselves on the outside of what God stands for. This is what we must look at and pay attention to. Because if God told them to have fear of him back then for the practices they were committing, then what tells you and I that we've got a right to do these things today? But you see, a lot of people say, well, we're under grace. It doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. That depends on who you ask, because a God-fearing man or woman will have nothing to do with what is not of God. Okay, even if you got a sense that you're serving another God, you'd want to back off of that thing and make things right with the Lord. Okay, so now we're going to go over to 2 Kings 18. Here's where we're going to get some understanding as to our subject tonight. So look at 1 Kings, I mean, 2 Kings 18. It's a scary thing to lose the fear of the Lord. I know because I've walked like that in my life. And I'll tell you what, it was only his grace that brought me back because sometimes we don't even realize what we're committing is such an offense to the Lord. Look at 2 Kings 18. 2 Kings 18, look at verse one. He says, now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea or Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. 25 years, uh, 25 years old uh, was he when he began to reign, and he reigned 20 and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abby, uh, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. 
So Hezekiah was a good king. He began to do the righteous works of God, you know, and he did according to, you know, what his father or ancestor David did. Look at verse four. Now, why was he good in God's sight? Look at this, guys, in verse four. He removed the high places and break down the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made for unto those days, the children of Israel did burn incense to it and he called it Nakushtan. So this is what we're talking about tonight. Hezekiah was righteous and he broke down even the brazen serpent that Moses made on the pole because people began to worship that. So what happened? People began to take their eyes off of the Lord. They didn't understand that that serpent on the pole was only for one situation. It was only meant to bring them to the place of understanding that they needed a savior. That's what the point of it was. But Hezekiah removed these things and, and they made this pole an idol that they began to worship this thing, but they didn't even have fear of the Lord like they were supposed to. So he called it Nakushtan is why he broke it down. What is Nakushtan, guys? This is H5180, and it simply means a thing of brass. A thing of brass. Now, Hezekiah in his day looked at it like, man, this is just brass. We're supposed to worship the living God, but brass itself is symbolic in many cases concerning the flesh. It's just a thing of flesh. The same reason people get attracted to personalities and they begin to worship their pastor or other personalities or teachers, or they begin to walk around with rosary beads around their neck, when they begin to think of unless I wear a crucifix, I'm not a Christian, or a what would Jesus do bracelet, okay, or wearing a Christian t-shirt, these things are things of the flesh. In other words, the thing of brass is a work of the flesh. Although it was used for God to make his point, it is not the living God himself. Many of us operate in the flesh, but don't operate in the spirit. Many of us are attracted to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, the three ways that the devil still attacks us. We're gonna get many examples of what this is tonight because you see, this can be one of the things that holds us from, beginning, from getting behind the veil that we can be with the Lord. We make idols. I remember one time, guys, just to show you what this is about. We did Lord's Supper here after a Bible study and someone thought, you know, in order to, for us to have Lord's Supper, wait a minute, we gotta get a white, you know, uh, sheet and put it over the table. And, you know, we gotta make sure that it looks ceremonial so that we can take the Lord's Supper. Did they forget where they were sitting when the first Lord's Supper was taken? But you see, this is the religious mind. This is the sort of thing that makes you feel unless we do something else besides worship the Lord and what he says, then we're not close to God. This is why people do the things that they do in a religious manner, because these things are just works of the flesh. God doesn't deal with the flesh. 
God deals with your spirit, okay? And then he changes your flesh through divine nature, through being born again, through doing the things that he wants us to. So as you can see, guys, this thing is a thing of brass. How many items of brass do we have in our lives, but we think it's the work of the Lord? You gotta understand working for God is nowhere near as important as staying connected to him and keeping a personal relationship with him. So look at verse five, he trusted in the Lord. This was Hezekiah, uh, the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. So as you can see, he was very different than all the other kings because the only idol that Hezekiah had in his life, the only thing that he began to cling to was the Lord. No other ritual or idol or item or anything that we think makes us more holy. He claved to the Lord. And because of that, look at verse seven, and the Lord was with him and he prospered whithersoever he went forth and he rebelled and he uh, rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. So notice it's a king or a man with a personal relationship with the Lord himself is the one that rebelled against Assyria. Why? Because in Hezekiah's eyes, he had no other God than the God of the Bible. If you guys read this story well enough, it makes clear that there was a guy, Rep Shaka, I think his name was, that came from the Assyrians, tried to get Hezekiah to doubt his relationship with the Lord, saying, hey, you see what the Assyrians did to the Pharaoh? You see what the Assyrians did to Libyans? You see what the Assyrians can do? I don't think you want to trust in your God. He's not going to serve you. He's not gonna help you out. Then he went to the people of Israel, this Reb Shekah, and told them, guys, stop putting your trust in Hezekiah. He's gonna get you killed. Hezekiah and his God are no match for the Assyrian army. They tried to put doubt and fear into Hezekiah's mind, and Hezekiah sought after Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah the prophet was sent to Hezekiah and told him, the Lord will put you, um, he says, the Lord will defend you against your enemies and those Assyrians will not step foot in this city. When Hezekiah trusted God, he fasted, he sought the Lord, he threw dust on his head, anything to hear from God. He wasn't like King Saul who went to the witch of Endor because he wasn't getting a word fast enough. Hezekiah waited on the Lord. That's so important, guys, because when he waited on the Lord, God sent an angel of the Lord that night that slew 185,000 men, okay? And the king that rebelled against Israel was killed by his own sons, okay? He went back home and was killed by his own sons. This is who we need. We need the Lord in a dark hour. We need Jesus Christ to be our rock and our high tower. We need Jesus Christ that we put our trust in, not in idols, not in religious things, 
not in dead religious works, not in pastors, preachers, or whomever, but your trust should be in the living God. And you're only going to have that when you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So hopefully we got some understanding tonight because we're going to talk about how this brass is a type of flesh. Remember in, uh, in um, Judges chapter 16, when Samson was caught up, what was he in? He was in fetters and brass. Samson was a type of church that was bound by the flesh. His eyes were put out and there he was, what you would say today, religious works, grinding at the mill, going around in circles and circles and circles because he had lost his anointing and he lost sight of what the Lord was calling him to do because Samson himself had lost the fear of the Lord. So what did God have to do? Much of what's happening with the church today, he put his eyes out, okay? He was bound until he got sick of his bondage, until he recognized that there would be no other solution in my life, which is only perfect obedience to the Lord, that he may liberate me from my enemies. This is what we're looking at today. We're looking at an idolatrous, we're looking at a bound society today. We're looking at people that have no fear of the Lord. And you have people today full of the spirit of Antichrist, which are putting things against God or in place of God, which is what he should have and no one else. Hey, Brother Frederick, hope all is well. Welcome. Okay, so let's move on. Let's go to Daniel chapter five. Daniel chapter five, guys, and we're going to look at verse one. We've got to learn to fear the Lord. What's wrong with America today? No fear of the Lord. And anyone that will not have fear of the Lord and allow himself to be ruled by the Lord, he will be ruled by tyrants. That's just the way it is. Look at Daniel 5, look at verse 1. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, or Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels uh, which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. So as you can see, we're going to be talking about Nebuchadnezzar tomorrow, but an interesting thing about Nebuchadnezzar, he lifted himself up high and he was brought down low by the Lord. He became as an animal. A beast heart was given unto him because he puffed himself up and he did not want to serve the Lord. He had no fear of God. So he had to actually be out in the field for seven years. His nails grew long, his hair grew long. He ate grass just like the ox ate. Okay, because man without God is a beast. When God is not your head, man or woman, you are a beast because you do not have the divine nature. You don't have the holiness. You're not born again. So you bear the mark of a beast. So Nebuchadnezzar, when God restored him to his fullness, Nebuchadnezzar had fear of the Lord. He took idols out of the temple and he says, 
He's only going to serve God. I believe in heaven, we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar because he wrote Daniel chapter four. Daniel chapter four, which is written in Aramaic, are the words of Nebuchadnezzar, a repentant man who had fear of the Lord that saw his errors and he took those idols out of his life and he only worshiped the one true God, the God of the Hebrews. But Belshazzar, who was not his grandson, according to what I hear, or, or he's my, like his great grandson, it wasn't his son. That word son means like kind of like an ancestor, but he was like a great grandson or grandson of um, Nebuchadnezzar. So this guy, Belshazzar, came along and said, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's gone. I can go back to bringing in whatever idols I wanna bring in. And this is how we feel at times when God delivers us from a situation, we begin to take God for granted and think we can just do whatever we want. Look at verse four, they drank wine and praised the gods, that's a lowercase g, of gold and of silver, of brass and iron, of wood and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. Also, now you've got fear of God. So what this man saw while he was idolatrous, living like a king, thinking, well, you know, my grandfather's gone. I can do whatever I feel like doing and I can enjoy myself. But what we're finding out here is a hand came through the wall. Can you guys imagine this? A hand, a finger appeared out of nowhere and began to write something on the wall. So imagine seeing that. They said that this guy, the joints of his loins were loose. So this guy went to the bathroom on himself. He was scared to death. And all because he didn't have fear of the Lord, and his knees smote together. Look at verse seven. The king cried aloud uh, to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, whosoever shall read this writing and shew me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So this was quite a reward. You notice that the heathen, whenever they didn't understand something God was doing, they would call astrologers who are against God. They would call Chaldeans and all these wise men, all these occult men that serve these other gods to try and get some understanding. It takes a man of God. It takes a spiritual mind to understand spiritual things. So look at verse eight. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing, nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished or astonished. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came in, came in the banquet house, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in the kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. 
Now, I want to make this clear. There are no such thing as holy gods. The reason this is being said is because this also is written in Aramaic, but also this is the perspective of the heathen. This is the way that they explained the God of the Bible because they didn't understand. So they said there is a man of God, of the holy gods, and in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar thy father, the king, um, I say, thy father, uh, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and shewing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts uh, were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, now let Daniel be called and he will shew the interpretation. So like I said, you need a spiritual man of God to understand spiritual things. So they say, hey, call for Daniel. The queen says, I remember a guy that knew the Lord that your father, Nebuchadnezzar, trusted in. Look at one, uh, uh, look at verse 13. Then was Daniel brought in before the king and the king spake and said unto Daniel, art thou that Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought out of Jewry? I have even heard of thee that the spirit of the gods is in thee and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers have been brought in before me and they should read this uh, writing uh, and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not shew the interpretation of the thing. And, um, and I have heard of thee, that thou canst make interpretations uh, uh, and dissolve doubts. Now, if thou canst read the writing and make known uh, to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck, and thou shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. Yeah. So when you guys look at this, Daniel was brought to make an interpretation and the king wanted to give him lavish gifts. Daniel said, man, keep your treasures, keep your rewards, keep your gifts to yourself and give them to another. I'm not here for that. I'm here for the Lord. I'm here for God. I'm his representative and he is the only treasure and reward that I want. This is the difference between a God and a heathen, okay, or an idolater. A godly person finds God to be the reward. So look at verse 18. O thou king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him, whom he would, uh, whom he would, he slew, and whom he would, he kept alive, and whom he would, he set up, and whom he would, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, 
and his mind hardened in pride. He was disposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men and his heart was made like the beast and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven uh, till he knew that the most high God ruled in the kingdom of men and that, and that he appointed over it whomsoever he will. So Nebuchadnezzar, because he didn't have fear of the Lord at one point, he had the mark of the beast. He had a beast man's nature until he recognized that God was God, the true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Shazar, has not humbled thine heart, though thou knowest all this. So Belshazzar, we got to understand, guys, is without excuse. He knew that Nebuchadnezzar served the one true God. But Belshazzar got a little high, got a little lifted up in pride. Why us being heathen should we have to serve the God of the Bible? I've got a new idea. I'm going to bring in my idols. I'm going to bring in things that I think would accommodate God, because after all, I am king and I can do what I like. That's a big mistake. When we become gods and kings of our own with no fear of the Lord, we will be judged by God one day. So we better get it right. So he says in verse 23, but has lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee. And thou and thy lords, thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know, and the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. And this was the writing, that was written, mene, mene, tekel, you farsen. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mene means God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Now this is important because this can be, guys, a type of judgment day. When God numbers your works, when he numbers your kingdom, when he measures you for your works and he finished it, that means he's done. Look at verse um, 27. TKL, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Another word for wanting here, guys, is lacking. You're found lacking. You've got idols in your life. Where do we hear about a story like this? In Matthew 25 with the 10 wise virgins or the 10 virgins. Five of them were wise, five of them were foolish. And what happened? They had no oil in their lamp. What didn't they have? A personal relationship with the Lord that they kept fresh, that they did not allow other things to work their way in between them and the Lord. They stayed connected. They stayed fruitful. They stayed full. But this guy has been weighed so far, okay? And he has found, he is found lacking. 
He does not have what is necessary to stay in good standing with the Lord. And Paris means thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So what happened? His time is up. God gave him a chance to have fear of him. God gave him a chance to worship him. This is what you and I have grace for. We don't wanna be found lacking. We don't wanna be found numbered and falling short of what God wants you and I to be. And we definitely don't want us to be given over to the tormentors or to the demons or to hell. We wanna stay in good standing with the Lord. So his kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. So as you can see, guys, this man fell on the wrong side of God. He had everything he ever needed, which was a testimony from Nebuchadnezzar himself, how he should serve God, just like you and I have the Bible, just like you and I have the spirit of God to tell us right from wrong. When we lose fear of the Lord and we get involved in dead works, when we operate in the flesh and we're not operating in a personal relationship and spirit of God, we are going to be found lacking. What was Belshazzar's work here? And that's the last thing you and I want to be doing, guys, is caught unawares, caught lacking, caught not in our relationship and being strong with him and operating in the flesh because there is no flesh that will glory in the presence of God. So I just want to make a couple of points here real quick, and we're going to get right back into this, guys. Okay, look at, um, let's go to, uh, let's see. Let's go to Galatians 2. I just want to make a quick point here. Look at verse 16. Look at what Paul says here, guys knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. Now, you know, the law itself was given by God, but it was also an operating in the flesh because it couldn't deal with the conscience. It couldn't change your nature. It took work, it took effort, it took instruction, but it did nothing for the nature. So he says, no man will be justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So where's our trust in? Who should we be relying on? Who should we be going after? We should be going after Jesus Christ himself. He has to be our everything. He came to this earth to make it personal for you and I that he may show us how to live. I would really, if we're Christians, we need to get on a dummies for Jesus course. Everything we saw Jesus do, we need to start doing. Everything we saw Jesus worship, we need to start worshiping it. 
Everything that Jesus had not instructed us to do, we should not be doing. This is that serious how idolatry itself can take the heart of a man away from the living God. We've got to learn to walk with Jesus and have him be our everything and stop going after things of brass because these things can't justify us. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid, for if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law am dead to the law that I may live unto God. So you see how he had to get rid of one covenant that we may have a new covenant. They might've served the law of Moses before, but now you and I are talking about the law of the spirit. Okay, because the spirit itself is the only thing that can change us. So he had to be dead to the old Mosaic law, not that you can't learn examples from it and see what we're saying that accommodates the new covenant, but you've got to be dead to your own works, dead to dead works, dead to the flesh that you may become alive unto God. When you and I are idolaters and we have lots of idols in our temple, the presence of God is not there. We are dead to God as long as we are idolaters. Look at verse 19 or verse 20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what we're looking at. There is no substitute for a personal relationship with the Lord. Everything outside of Jesus is a dead work. Everything outside of the Lord is just the flesh. And there is no flesh that will glory in the presence of God. If anybody can find that scripture that no flesh will glory in God's presence, please um, uh, put it in the description box that I might receive it because I didn't look that up and I can't think of it offhand. Let's go to 2 Kings 23. Jesus must be your everything. Everything else is, man, it's a dead work. Okay, guys, Sister Sarah is having reception issues. Are you guys having the same? Can you hear and see me clearly? Uh, please let me know. Look at 2 Kings 23. We've got to stop offering the Lord strange fire. 2 Kings 23, guys, look at verse one. And the king sent, and they gathered unto him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. And the king went up into the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him. And the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great, and he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. Hey, Brother Court. So you see, this is what we've got to look at. He says just a little. But you see, this is what we got to look at, guys. 
Israel at this point went back to their sin. They were still worshiping in the high places, serving other gods, doing all this stuff that's not of God. So the king himself went into the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And with him were the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their ears the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. So what did he pretty much take, guys? He took the Bible. Hey, Sister Naima, he took the Bible. He took the word of God and said, even though there was no Bible at the time, but he said, all right, guys, I want every prophet, priest, and king, every church goer, every this, every that. And I want y'all to meet me in the church at this particular time. And I'm going to read the words of the Lord to you that we may understand what is right and what is wrong. So look at verse three. And the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes and all their, I mean, with all their heart and with all their soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book and all the people stood to the covenant. Now, this is interesting. The Lord is bringing something to my attention now that I had not seen before. Look at verse three. He says, the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after him and his commandments and his testimonies. But notice he says, with his statutes, with all their heart, with all their soul, and to perform the words. So this is what Jesus commanded us to do, to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Notice he didn't just say to love the Lord or to love his commandments. He says in verse three, and to perform the words of this covenant. So it's not good enough, guys, that we know what the Bible says, we must live it. We must get to the place of saying, you know what? Even though the Bible says this, I'm gonna apply this to my life. He says to perform, not just to know. You see, we can talk it, but can we do it? This is why we need to be in line with the Lord that he may change us, that we may be a vessel fit unto honor and for the master's use, because he never meant for them to just read it. He wanted them also to be able to perform what they read. Look at verse four. And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priest of the second order and the keepers of the door to bring forth out of the temple of the Lord, all the vessels that were made for Baal. What was our Belshazzar having in his place? The vessels of Baal. So that's the first thing the king commanded. Hey, get rid of all those things that belong to Baal. You and I have to be rid of all those things that we have in our lives that belong to Baal. I'll tell you an interesting thing. I did a teaching once called Who is Baal? Baal is who you worship for Christmas. Baal is who you worship for Easter. That is not the importance of why I'm bringing forward this teaching, but just giving people an example that these things did not begin with God's, with the origin of God. It didn't begin with what God brought in. This is what the heathen brought in. And the Bible tells us that if the foundations be destroyed, then what can the righteous do? 
God is only going to allow in heaven that which came from heaven. So these are things that we've got to pay attention to. I'm not telling people what to do. I'm just giving you the truth. And for the grove and for the host of heaven. So they were worshiping the planets and all these different things. And he burned them without Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried the ashes of them unto Bethel. So what has he done? He took every single idol, anything that belonged to Baal that wasn't of God, and he burned them outside of the city. This is what God wants to do with the idols within and without us. He wants these things out of our temple that they can burn and have nothing to do with us. Look at verse five, and he put down the idolatrous priest. So he took all the priests that were worshiping idols and he put them down. He got rid of them, whom the king of Judah had ordained uh, to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places round about Jerusalem, round about Jerusalem, them also that burned incense unto Baal and to the sun and to the moon and to the planets and to all the hosts of heaven. When it says planets here, planets mean wandering stars, okay? They're not talking about planets and I don't have time to get into that tonight, but the point is these people had idolatry going on big time in the midst. So what is God doing? He's cleaning house, okay? This, this king said, we gotta get out all these idols if we wanna walk with the Lord. Verse six says, and he brought out the grove from the house of the Lord without Jerusalem unto the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook uh, Kidron and stamped it to small powder. This is how God wants to deal with the idols in our lives. He wants them to be ground to powder. You remember when Jesus even says, guys, if you fall on me, you'll be broken. And you see a broken and contrite heart, God will not despise. God can work with a vessel like that. He can fill you with his son, fill you with his spirit and do mighty works through you if you give things over to him. But Jesus said, if I fall on you, that means if you won't yield to his will and you puff yourself up, if he's got to come looking for you, if he's got to deal with you in your sin, he says he will grind you to powder. We better learn to have fear of the Lord and go according to what the Lord told us that we need to do. Okay, so he ground it to powder, thereof uh, upon the graves of the children of the people. And what did he do next in verse seven? And he break down the houses of the Sodomites that were by the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the grove. What are we talking about here? Homosexuality. He even took that out of the midst because he understood that those things were not of God. We read in Leviticus 18, the Bible talks about when you've got that in the midst, that the land itself will vomit out the inhabitants thereof. It defiles the land. What do you see today in the education system? A defiled land. What do you see and even in, in government and all these things going on? That spirit defiling the land. I don't care if people don't like this. When God intends to clean us out, he's gonna do away with every filthy thing 
that is not of him. Now, I know a lot of people may feel we're supposed to love. You shouldn't be judging. You shouldn't be saying it. Hey, look, they're already judged. We love them is why we tell them the truth that they might be saved, okay? Because God will even separate you from having friends that are in those lifestyles. What's causing this homosexuality to grow today? Because people are saying, as long as they don't do anything to me, I'm good. You know, as long as they live their life, I'm not going to judge. But now look at it. Your cousin, your nephew, your mother or father, your school teacher, everybody's in it because they become tolerant of it. And when you love sin and you stand for sin and you won't oppose sin, then you will stand against the living God. They're no different than anybody else. We had to stop being fornicators, liars, thieves, and whatever else we were involved in. They need to cut their sin out too if they're gonna walk with the Lord. Notice he broke down the houses of the Sodomites. If you look at the word Sodomite, this is H6945. That word is Kadesh, and it means a male temple prostitute. It says a sacred person that is technically a male devotee by prostitution to licentious idolatry, idolatry, a sodomite and unclean. So that's what we're dealing with, the unclean. He's taking everything out of us that shouldn't be. I agree with Pastor Price. He says that when we continued in sin in our walk, if it wasn't for the Lord to come in to remove these things out of our lives, that we were only practicing homosexuals. We would have eventually got to the point how he first introduces you to fornication, then you become deprived and you become sexual and you want to experiment. Then the next thing he brings you to is sodomy. Sodomy is oral or anal copulation. That's what people get involved in. And then lastly, is homosexuality. We were just sodomites in training before the Lord intervened to clean us out. We've got to be cleaned out from every vestige of that sodomite nature that we may be what God has called us to be, those righteous trees bearing the image of the living God. He says, look at verse eight, and he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priest had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba and break down the high places of the gates that were in the entering of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on a man's left hand at the gate of the city. Nevertheless, the priest of the high places came not up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they did eat of the unleavened bread among their brethren. So they did not want to give themselves over to the Lord, but they still wanted to remain in the congregation. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the children of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. So what did he get rid of? Abortion, child sacrifice, all the stuff that you see going on today all the things that people believe they've got an okay to do because they have another God and that is self and they have no fear of the one true God. 
And it says, and he took away the horses that the kings of Judah had given to the son at the entering in of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nethamalek and the chamberlain of which was in the suburbs and burned the chariots of the son with fire. So as you can see, when God comes to do a work, this is the kind of work he wants to do. He wants to take away all idolatry from the midst of us that we can walk with the Lord, that we can have a personal relationship, that he becomes everything. Remember what he told the woman that was by the well. The woman, he said, hey, woman, if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst. The woman said, give me the water. And what did the Lord say to her? He said, go get your husband. And the woman said, I have no husband. And he said, you have said right well that you have no husband. But he said, he made it clear. Yeah, you're not married. You're telling the truth about that. But you've got five husbands and the one that you're with now is not your husband. So she had been with five men and the sixth man that she's with now is not her husband. Notice that the Lord stopped her with six. What is six? A number of the mark, I mean, a number of the beast or the number of the man. Before he offered the water, he wanted to take her away from her own nature. Man, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So I just want to bring up another point, man, because you see, these things are the things that stand in the way of the Lord. And we've got to make sure that these things are not in us so that we can truly be the temple of the Lord, that we won't have any idols in our lives. Jesus Christ would be our everything. Look at Jeremiah 7. Jeremiah chapter 7. There are countless examples of the Lord cleaning out idols in the temples, okay, that people may get right with the Lord. And in the New Testament, he doesn't deal with temples. Yes, the house of the Lord should be a particular way like a church, but he deals with those lively stones who are the temple of the living God. But look at this, look at Jeremiah 7. We're gonna go to the New Testament, but I just wanna make this point. As a matter of fact, you guys waited Jeremiah 7. I wanna read something to you. Now notice that the serpent, that was the brazen, um, the brazen of the, the bronze, um, pole with the serpent on it was the Nakushtan, that thing that they used, you know, to keep or it was symbolic for Christ to keep people from, um, you know, getting killed by the serpents if they kept their mind on the image. Well, we know later on that that was only meant for a time that we were supposed to give our lives to the Lord and spend time with him. An interesting thing. Haven't you guys seen that image? Don't you guys see that in the medical world? Don't you guys see that image in different things? Because I think that when God meant for his people to lay it down, that the heathen would pick it up. And why do I believe this? Because if you guys look at the Kedusha symbol, now that's two serpents that go around the pole like that, okay? You guys look at what the meaning of the Kedusha is, and I'm gonna take you to two other meanings so that you can see that this Nakushtan is still being worshiped. This is the devil you know, taking an image that, that God once used and he turned it into an idol. That's exactly what he wanted to do with the body of Moses. So look at the Caduceus, guys. The Caduceus, uh, it says, is a staff carried by Hermes 
in Greek mythology, and consequently by Hermes, uh, Trist, uh, what is it, Trismegistus, Trismegistus, uh, the Greco-Egyptian in Greco-Egyptian mythology. The same staff was also borne by heralds in general. For example, by Iris, the messenger of Hera, it is a short staff intertwined by two serpents, sometimes surrounded by wings. In Roman iconography, it was often depicted being carried in the left hand of Mercury, the messenger of the gods, uh, the guide of the dead. Now notice that it's a messenger of the gods, it's a guide for the dead, and a protector of merchants, shepherds, gamblers, liars, and thieves. Notice that it's a protector for shepherds. What was Moses? He was a type of shepherd. I'm not saying this is the um, Nakushtan, but we gotta understand something, that the devil has picked this thing up. This thing is to protect merchants, shepherds, gamblers, liars, and thieves. That's pretty much what the children of Israel were when he was taking them through the wilderness. But this is something for us to think about, guys. Look at what we trust in, even concerning the medical world. I want us to think about that because to many people, the doctor has become your God, not God. Some people have gone to the doctor and heard some very bad news. And instead of putting their trust in the living God, they put their trust in men. The doctor will tell you, you've got uh, six months to live. And you know what people do? Oh, I know that there's no God. I give up. I hate, you know, and I'm not saying that, you know, some things don't happen for a reason. But the point is, guys, we've got to put our trust in God. Doctors don't have the final say. Our Lord is the great physician. There was nothing too hard for him. How many of us, when we even hear things like that, do we go to the Lord in prayer and ask for guidance? I'm not saying to dismiss a doctor. I'm making the point that even if you go to a doctor, your trust is not in him. Your trust should be in the living God. Notice that that is the symbol that they use in the medical world. Now, I'm going to introduce you guys to another symbol. This is called uh, the Rod of Asclepius, okay? The Rod of Asclepius. That was the Caduceus had two serpents around the pole. This is one serpent around the pole. This looks more like it, okay? But you guys look at this. It says in Greek mythology, the Rod of Asclepius, uh, it says also known as the Staff of Asclepius, uh, as an Asclepian, is a serpent entwined, entwined rod wielded by the god of Asclepius, a deity associated with healing and medicine. The symbol has continued to be used in modern times, where it is associated with medicine and healthcare, yet frequently confused with the staff of the god Hermes, the Caduceus. Theories have been proposed about the Greek origin of the symbol and its implications. If you look at this, guys, it says that this symbol they used for healing and medicine. Where do you think they learned that? From the Hebrews. But God was only using that for a time. When these people were bit by the serpents in the wilderness, what did they think? You know, if they kept their eyes on it, they became well and they wouldn't die. The devil has picked this very thing up 
in his paganism and got people worshiping it and believing in it when that was not God's intention at all. It was only symbolic for a time. It had nothing to do with the desire of worship. Now, why I brought this up, guys, because it makes clear here. Uh, let me see if I can find it. But it talks about that this symbol has a lot to do with the Hippocratic Oath. Yeah, this is where it says it. It says the original Hippocratic Oath began with the invocation, I swear by Apollo the physician and by Asclepius and by uh, Hygieia and uh, Panacea and by all the gods. So notice it's being practiced today. Doctors themselves today have a Hippocratic Oath. You guys look at what the Hippocratic Oath is if you've never heard of it in the medical world today. The Hippocratic Oath is an oath of ethics historically taken by physicians. It is one of Greek medical, medical texts uh, in its original form. It requires a new physician to swear by a number of healing gods to uphold specific ethical standards. The oath is the earliest expression of medical ethics in the Western world, establishing several principles of medical ethics, which remain of paramount principles of medical ethics, which remain of paramount um, significance today. These include the principles of medical confidentiality and non-malefficiency. And then it says, as the uh, seminal articulation of certain principles that continues to guide and inform medical practice. The ancient text is of more than, I mean, is of more than historic and symbolic value. Swearing a modified form of the oaths remain a rite of passage for medical graduates in many countries. What is the devil doing? turning people back to idolatry and having man put his trust in this. So you see, most of your doctors, guys, are witches. Most of them are pagan. Most of them worship other gods. Most of them have given their allegiance to other gods while they operate on you. You better learn to put your trust in the living God because I am 100% certain that the Nakushtin was picked up by the devil, and this is what you see on medical symbols and things today. And it's working because a lot of people have put their trust in doctors more than the living God. So in many ways, we're still going after the things of brass. I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. I'm saying you put your trust in the living God while you even do go to the doctor and see because our God has the final say. Jesus Christ is the great physician, and that's where we better put our trust. Look at um, Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah 7, look at verse 1, guys. And the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord all ye of Judah that enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. So, you know, Jeremiah was standing at the Lord's house at the gate 
And what was he doing? He was telling people here that they need to hear the word of the Lord. If you're coming in this house to worship, you've got to hear the word of the Lord. Look at verse three. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways, change your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust ye not in lying words, saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. In other words, saying that things belong in the house of the Lord, or they're okay to be in the house of the Lord, and they're not, okay? Don't listen to the liars. Look at verse five. For, uh, for if ye truly or thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if ye oppress not the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods unto your hurt. Then will I cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. So we're gonna reap the benefits of eternal life. We're gonna reap the benefits of being full of the spirit. We will be sanctified in the Lord, being a partaker of his nature and bearing his image, if we can get rid of the idols. Look at verse eight. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Look at how many are worshiping Joel Osteen, worshiping Kanye West, worshiping T.D. Jakes and Creflo Dollar, all these mega preachers, all these people that are telling lies to make them feel good. He says, you guys trust in lying words and they cannot profit. Will ye steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal? Do you worship Baal in God's house? He says, and walk after other gods whom ye know not. So other things that God tells you and I that we shouldn't be worshiping, we shouldn't be involved in. Hey, Coach P, hope all is well, bro. So he says, look at verse 10 and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. Are you saying things that are not of God belong in God's house? Guys, we better look at what we're in, man, because we got to look at the fact that God is not gonna receive anything into heaven that didn't come from heaven. Man, you know, People worship Christmas and get into all that. Hey, I ain't telling people what to do, but I'm telling you, I'm having nothing to do with it. Why? Because it did not come from heaven. There's even scriptures in this Bible that actually speak against that type of worship. People don't even realize when you bow down before a Christmas tree and you pick up your little gifts, you are kneeling before an idol. You better think about that, okay? Don't, don't do it to please me. Let the Lord lead you and what you need to do. But we better pay close attention to what we're dealing in because the Lord says again in verse 10, you worship Baal, you do all these things. And then he says, and then you come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. God gave you liberty to do this mess? Look at verse 11. Is this house 
which is called by my name become a den of robbers? In your eyes, behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. So what you also see guys taking place is everybody knows that Christmas is by far and Easter, the two most popular days in church. Why a lot of pastors know it's wrong, but they don't say anything about it, okay? Is the money. It's really about the money, guys. It's really about, hey, they're gonna come in, they're gonna give offering, they're gonna do all these things. And these are things that we gotta pay attention to, okay? I'm not dumping on anybody. I'm reading the word of God. And I'm trying to give us some understanding because the Lord is saying, I can't believe you're coming before me and bringing abominations. So what were they doing here? They were also sacrificing children to Baal. They probably had homosexuals sitting right up in the church. They probably had all these things going on, these abominations that God does not like. Now, unto my place, which is in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first NC, what I did to it, wickedness of my people Israel. And now because ye have done all these works, saith the Lord, and I spake unto you rising up early and speaking, but ye heard not. And I called you and you answered not. So God warned about the sins and idolatry that these people were committing. They didn't want to hear it. Look at verse 14. Therefore will I do unto this house, which is called by my name, wherein ye trust and unto the place which I gave uh, to you and to your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight as, um, as I have cast out all your brethren, even the whole seed of Ephraim. Now we learn from the book of Hosea that Ephraim were given over to idols. And when God says that Ephraim was given over to idols, it says, and um, I believe it's in Hosea chapter four, leave him alone. I think that's Hosea four and 15. Say, hey, man, no fellowship with Ephraim. He's given himself over to idols. Look at verse 16. Therefore, pray not thou for this people, neither lift up, cry, nor pray for them. Neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear thee. God hates idolatry. Idolatry is anything, anything that you put before the Lord or that you give him that he did not ask of. You know why? Because your pride itself even tells you it's okay to do this, you know? And if God didn't say you could, then you cannot unless God tells you. Look at verse 17. Seest thou not what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood and the fathers kindle the fire and the women ned their dough to make cakes to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings of, um, unto other gods that they may provoke me to anger. So who is this queen of heaven? This is the Mary that the Catholics worship, not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is who the Catholics worship for Easter. This is Ishtar, Easter, Diana, Venus, the wife and mother of Nimrod, Astareth, who had everything to do with Baal. This is who you worship for Easter, guys. God is angry. When he says they ned their dough and make cakes to the queen of heaven, 
That word for cake is H3561. That word in Hebrew is kavan. That word is a, what you would call today, guys, a hot cross bun. If you don't know what a hot cross bun is, look it up. People eat them for Easter. It puts a little crease in it, like, you know, like a cross that has everything to do with Tammuz. Okay, that's what the T represents. It represents Tammuz, who was who? The reincarnated, resurrected Nimrod, who is Baal. The son of Baal. That's who you worship for December 25th. Look at verse 19. Do they provoke me to anger, saith the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to the confusion? Or another word for confusion is perversion of their own faces. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, my anger and my fury shall be poured out upon this place, upon man and upon beast and upon the trees of the field and upon the fruit of the ground, and it shall burn and shall not be quenched. No, thank you. I'm not looking to go to hell into everlasting torment. I'm not looking to fall on the wrong side of God. We must have the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of all understanding and wisdom that we will not put idols before him. It is a dangerous thing to offer strange fire unto the Lord. One more point, we're going to the New Testament. Look at Ezekiel chapter eight. Ezekiel chapter eight. And let's look at verse one. We must get rid of the idols within us, guys. The idol ain't Christmas. The idol ain't all these things that we think. The idol is we don't have enough of Jesus Christ inside of us. We don't have our temples full of Christ because if we are full of Christ, we're gonna walk like Christ, talk like Christ, think like Jesus Christ, desire what Jesus Christ wants. But if we got things in our lives, I remember Leonard Ravenhill said, and this always stuck with me. He says, because there isn't enough joy in the house of the Lord. And I'm not necessarily talking about church. I'm talking about the temple of God, which is you. Because we don't have enough in the house of the Lord, he says that we need entertainment. And he said, entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. This is why we have to outwardly perform and seek other things and get new ideas that we wanna give Jesus. There's not enough joy in the house because if Jesus becomes your everything, then he's who you're going to seek after. Nothing will do but Christ in you. But when you, you know, you're lacking and, you know, man, I ain't feeling the joy of the Lord, which the Bible tells us is our strength, then I'm going to seek after things that are gonna pleasure me, give me dopamine rushes, make me seek after and desire because I'm a drowning man that needs Christ and I need my temple full of him. I'll reach for any life raft, anything I think will sustain me because I won't give everything over to him who is my true source of life. Ezekiel 8, look at verse one. And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I sat in mine house and the elders of Judah sat before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell there upon me. There I, there I beheld and lo, the likeness as the appearance of fire, 
from the appearance of his loins, even downward, fire and from his loins, uh, even upward as the appearance of brightness, as the color of amber. And he put forth the form of an hand and took me by a lock of my head. And the spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven and brought me in the visions of God and uh, to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate and looked towards the north. Uh, where where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provoketh to jealousy. So man, what are they looking at in here that God is jealous? God lifted Ezekiel out of the body into a vision, took him and showed him Jerusalem and then showed him the inner workings of the temple. That's important that he went into the inner gate. Look at verse four and beheld the glory of God of Israel was there according to the vision that I saw in a plain. Then said he unto me, son of man, lift up thine eyes and now the way towards the north. So I lifted up my eyes the way toward the north and behold northward at the gate of the altar, this image of jealousy in the entry. So there's an image of jealousy towards the altar there are sacrifices being made here, not to God, but to another God. He said, furthermore unto me, son of man, seest thou what they do, even the great abominations that the house of Israel committed here, that I should go far off from my sanctuary, but turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. Guys, really look at verse six here. He said, furthermore unto me, son, a son of man, seest thou what they do, even the great abominations that the house of Israel committed here. Now look at what Israel do. They're committing abominations, right? But look at what the Lord says next, that I should go far off from my sanctuary. Guys, do you want the Lord walking out of your life because of idolatry? You want the Lord to take his hand off of you or back off of you because what you're committing is an abomination? You know, your idol can be your sin. Your idol can be your video games. Your idol can be your movies or anything that you give more time than God. Do you want the Lord leaving the sanctuary that belongs to him? He says, but turn ye yet again and I will show thee greater abominations. And he brought me to the door of the court. And when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. Then said he unto me, son of man, dig now in the wall. And when I had digged in the wall, behold, a door. He says, and he said unto me, go in and behold of the wicked abominations that they do. So I went in and saw and behold every form of creeping things and abominable beast and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. You know what I think was going on here, guys, and I can't say for sure, but I believe what the Lord may be showing me is he showed them the astrology chart. He showed them the zodiac. He says every creeping thing, an abominable beast, they were probably even making sacrifice with unclean animals. All these things are going on. He says in verse 11, and there stood before them 70 men of the ancients. The elders are involved in this, guys. 
of the house of Israel. And in the midst of them stood Jezaniah, the son of Shaphan, uh, with every man, his center in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. So these people were doing dirt in the dark. They were billowing incense. They were giving worship to whatever this abomination was in the house of the Lord. This can be us from time to time, guys. The things that we do in secret, the things that we don't want people to know about, the things that we won't pick down, that we can pick up Jesus Christ and he can fill our vessels, we can have in secret. This could be us. Verse 12, then said he unto me, son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? every man in the chambers of his imagery, his imagination. For they say, the Lord seeth us not. The Lord hath forsaken the earth. So these people think that they're getting away with the abominations they're committing here. They think because it's done in secret, God doesn't see it. Look at verse 13. He said also unto me, turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations that they do. So notice as he's taking them around the temple in Jerusalem, he's seeing greater and greater abominations. Things are getting progressively worse. What can be worse than we just read? Look at verse 14. Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north, and behold, there sat women, weeping for Tammuz. People are weeping for Tammuz. They're weeping for the son of Baal. They're weeping for Nimrod incarnate. They are weeping for the Antichrist because they like what he practices. They enjoy what he does and they have moved God out the scene. Their hearts are for Tammuz. Who is Tammuz? A Sumerian deity of food and vegetation. And what is he called? The sprout of life. He's an alternative life source. He's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He is what you would put in place of Christ if you don't want to serve the Lord. This is what's going on, guys. Tammuz's birthday is who is being celebrated on December 25th. Now, some people can say, well, you can't tell me when to worship God. You're right. But one thing I know on that day is, this is the night of child sacrifice. This is the night of sexual orgies. While the devil is strong and the devil is destroying everything in sight, having his massive demons through what he believes and what he's worshiped, he's growing on this day while you and I have a ho, 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 jolly good old time. While we sit and our hearts are filled with joy, you know, the devil on his day is claiming all the souls that he possibly can. But you see, this is what you would call the bread and circus. The Roman emperors used to do this. They would give men holidays. They would give men entertainment. Meanwhile, when people started asking questions of the government, where's the money? Where's the food? Why are all these laws being passed that are against God? What did the, what did the uh, emperor do? He gave them bread and the circus. He gave them entertainment. It's the same thing the devil is doing today while he destroys you. People want to know what the real, you know, uh, wrath of the devil is. It is that he comes in peace and he will destroy many. 
He's going to entertain you, tickle your fancy until he destroys you. Just like the Nakushtin when men began to worship that. It's just a thing of brass. It's just a work of the flesh. It's got nothing to do with God. If we're going to worship him, we must worship him in spirit and in truth. Hey, Brother Timotheus, hope all is well, bro. Now we're going to go to the New Testament. We got a few points. Look at Galatians chapter 5. Uh, let's go. Let's look at verse 13. Galatians 5, guys, look at verse 13. Look at what it says. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. So thank God for his liberty. Thank God that we can walk in the spirit, that we're not held by the old Mosaic law. But look at what Paul says, guys. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. So as you can see, the flesh has a different appetite than the spirit. When we follow after the flesh, it leads us away from the spirit. When we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Look at verse 18. But if ye be led by the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery. Now, each one of these things are physical, but they can also be used spiritual. There's a spiritual adultery when we love things more than God. He calls them adulterers and adulteresses. Know you not that friendship with the world is enmity against God? Fornication. Fornication can be spiritual. Are you intimate with any idol or anything more than God? Uncleanness, anything outside of God lasciviousness. Look at lasciviousness, G766, unbridled lust, excess, licentiousness, wantingness, outrageousness, shamelessness, and insolence. Look at, um, and then look at what's on the list in verse 20. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, which is like rioting and wild partying, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So if we want to commit sins, whoredoms, like Brother Sal just mentioned, we won't inherit the kingdom of God. No L, no God. Uh, Fala La 666. Wow, thanks, Brother Court. That really brings it into perspective. 
Man, look at what Brother Cord said, guys, if you haven't seen it yet. Look in the description box how it's brought to, look at what it is. So anyways, he said that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance against such there is no law. So there is no law for love. You can do what the Lord is actually telling you to do. You know, there's no law. You can't put a cap on love. You can't put a cap on joy and peace and long suffering. These are fruit that the Lord wants to grow in us. But look at verse 24. And they that are Christ, those who belong to Jesus, guys, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. So as you can see, the works of the flesh, okay? The works of the flesh are those things that what you can call a thing of brass. It means nothing to God, nothing. Has no bearing in your relationship with the Lord at all. All it can do through idolatry and through, you know, a different nature is take you away from the life of God. The devil's been giving us a steady diet of this mess because he wants you to worship anything except the living God. Look at Matthew 17. I'm going to close in a few. Matthew 17. Matthew 17, look at verse one. It says, and after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou will let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias, while, while he, while he uh, yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and behold a voice of a cloud or a voice out of the cloud, which said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. So what are we looking at here? Peter, through his ignorance, through walking in the flesh, thought, you know what? We should make three tabernacles, one for you, Lord, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But you see, God the Father here was, wait a minute, man. I don't care who Moses and Elijah are. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him, in whom I am well pleased, our eyes have to be locked in on the Lord because Jesus Christ is the only one that God the Father wants. He's the only one that when he sees Christ in you, you and I will be saved. We've got to get full of Christ. We've got to die out to self. We've got to forget about the flesh because no flesh will see the Son of God. I mean, no flesh will see God. No flesh will glory in God's presence. We ought to be focused on Jesus. Look at verse six. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were so afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, arise 
and be not afraid. What was the Lord giving them through five words here? This is grace. Hey guys, I understand you don't know. So I'm just telling you what it is. Look at verse eight. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And that's what we gotta be guys. Jesus only is the only one that matters. Look at John chapter three. It's all about Jesus. All about Jesus. Let's look at verse 10. John three guys, look at verse 10. Jesus answered and said unto him, art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Because the Lord was addressing, uh, what's his name? Uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, the Pharisee, Nicodemus. So Jesus was addressing him, telling him he needed to be born again. And you notice he said, master, you are a, a, um, a teacher come from God because no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus was pretty much telling him how to get the power. He said, you must be born again. You know that we've got to have our temples cleaned out that we can house the new wine. We need new bottles that have no idolatry in them to house the new wine. So the Lord says um, in verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto him, art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and ye perceive not, and you receive not, sorry, our witness. If I have told you of earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the son of man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. So just how Moses held up that serpent, that Nakashtan, we've got to be the same way, or Nakushtan, we've got to be the same way in lifting up Christ. As Moses lifted up that serpent and all eyes who wanted to live were fastened on that, you and I have got to lift up Jesus Christ and stay focused on him, the narrow way, the tree of life, okay? Look at verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Notice when they kept their eyes on the serpent in the wilderness, they lived. If we stay believing on Jesus Christ, we will not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, notice it says through, not the world by him, the world through Jesus might be saved. What does that mean? You've got to be a partaker of a relationship. You've got to have Christ living in you. Only through Jesus, we will be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Man, this is what we better look at, guys. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world 
and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. But look at what he says in verse 20. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest their deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. That's all we're doing. We're talking about the idols in our lives that need to be taken out, that need to be exposed, so that we can give all things over to Jesus Christ. He is our source of life. Remember what Jesus said, if thy eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thy eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? It's time to put all eyes on Christ, all eyes on Jesus. Let's become single-minded. Let's get full of him. Let's discover the joy of the Lord or what it is to have a personal relationship with Jesus and accept no substitutes. Nothing can give you the joy of the Lord. Nothing can fill you with the love of Christ. Nothing can save your soul from a burning hell except Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Look at Luke 10. I'm about done, guys. Luke 10. Luke 10, and let's look at verse 38. Luke 10, let's look at verse 38. It says, now it came to pass as they went that, as they, as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus's feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about, about much uh, serving. She was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister have left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. So Martha wanted to impress the Lord with her works. If you guys look at the name Martha, we did a teaching like three years ago called Mary and Martha. But if you look at um, Martha's name, this is G3136. The word means she was rebellious. Okay, so you guys look at that. Look at Mary's name. It's not much different. If you look at the name Mary, guys, okay, uh, look at Mary. This is G3137. Her word means their rebellion. So, you know, in many ways, guys, this can be looked at, that they were both sinners or they were both in need of Jesus Christ. But one decided to work for the Lord and the other just sat at his feet, absorbing as much, much of the Lord as, as they could possibly have. Look at verse 41. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So guys, a personal relationship with the Lord is more important than any works we think we can give the Lord. Nothing must come between our relationship with the Lord. We cannot have idols in this temple 
that we may give the Lord everything. Look at 2 Timothy chapter two. Two more scriptures, guys, and I'm done, I promise. 2 Timothy chapter two. And let's look at verse 19. 2 Timothy chapter two and 19. He says, Paul speaking to Timothy, his apprentice, he says, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The word iniquity here is G93. That word is injustice of a judge, unrighteousness of heart and life, a deed violating law and justice, acts of unrighteousness. So as you can see, if we're gonna name the name of Christ, we've got to depart from wickedness, wicked works, wicked desires, those things that are of God. So then it says here, okay, look at verse 20, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also the wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, from these idols, from these vessels, from these things that we have in our temples, if we purge ourselves of these, look at the promise, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet, meaning fit, for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Not just some good works, every good work. Not only will you preach the word, you're gonna preach the word with power. Souls are gonna be saved. You're gonna demonstrate the gifts of the spirit because there is nothing within the temple, including our will, that is going to keep the flow of God or the presence of the Lord filling the temple. It says in 1 Kings chapter six, when they built that temple, the way that it was instructed to be built, that it says that the presence of God filled the temple. Man, that's the manifestation of the sons of God. That's what it is to be full of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 22. Flee also, here's the other problem, guys. Youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, which is love peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Not a double heart, but a pure heart towards the Lord. Look at verse 23. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender stripes, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and patient. In meekness, look at the fruit of the Spirit here instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure or perhaps will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So in order to repent, we got to acknowledge the truth. We got to see where we're wrong and that God is right. Look at verse 26, and that they may recover themselves, be restored, you know, be set free out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Man, we wanna be set free. 
We got to rid ourselves of everything that the devil has built in our lives, all the fifth columns, all the things that he's banking on that you won't change. Notice when Jesus told Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired you that he may sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith fail not. What was Jesus talking about? The devil was going to sift Peter like he sifts you and I to see if there be anything of brass, any idol, any flesh, anything that we love more than God, any vestige of the old man still in us because he's banking on pulling that string so that he can get you to follow after him. No, we gotta give all things over to Jesus that these cords may be severed, that we may be truly set free. And what does the Bible says? You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Whom the son who is Jesus has set free, shall you shall be free indeed. Man, thank you, Lord. Last scripture I'm going to before I close, look at 2 Corinthians chapter six. The Lord has been on my mind to go to 2 Corinthians chapter six the whole night. And I'm glad that he kept it there in my memory that I wouldn't forget it. Thank you, Lord. Look at what he says, 2 Corinthians six, let's begin at verse 14 and we're gonna close with this. He says, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what for what fellowship have righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion have light with darkness? Great points. There's a lot of darkness that can be around us that can keep our eyes from being single and that can keep us from having our bodies full of the light or the spirit of God. Verse 15, and what concord have Christ with Belial? That's another name for the devil. Or what right does Christ, who is worth, you know, everything, has to do with worthlessness? Nothing. Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? That's a dog. Okay. Look at verse 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them, not around them not going to church, not being here or there. He's gonna dwell in the temple because we are the temple of God. He will dwell in them, not just dwell in us, he will walk in us. That means he will lead us full of himself. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. That's an if and then statement. If we clean out our lives or allow the Lord to clean us out from every unrighteous thing, then he will receive us. Verse 18, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Thank you, Jesus. So you see, guys, that's the lesson for tonight. The Nakushtan was only meant for the work that was done in the wilderness. It was symbolic for that serpent being the serpent seed, being Adam, that, that Jesus took to the cross, that he might destroy, that we may have the new life, which is in him. But those people used it as an idol. 
they began to worship him and they had no fear of the Lord. They began to worship an idol because that idol was more real to them. We can't have any idols in our lives. We truly must become the temple of God. We must have the Holy Spirit sanctify us and bring all sinful things to mind while he changes our nature and cleans us out that we may give all things over to Jesus. Also, I wanna introduce people to the Organic Gospel book, okay? You can get this book. It teaches that the gospel is organic, that you can't try to be a Christian. You can't try to rid yourself of idols. You've got to give your body over as a living sacrifice and enter into a true relationship with the Lord, read his word, spend time with him, become intimate with Christ while he changes our nature, that we may become the righteous trees that will bear the righteous fruit that we will be taken into his barn. God wants righteous trees and he does it by changing the nature. This book is 1395. You can get it at the Omega Ministries website or its own, which is www.theorganicgospel.net. You can also uh, get this book on Amazon.com, I heard, and um, and a few other things. But guys, don't cheat yourself, treat yourself. It's a short read, but it's a good book. My sister said, my sister Dawn, it changes the way that you think. And that's what we need. If it's not working for us to just do what we do, we need new revelation of the majesty of God. There's plenty of scripture in this book, we're not selling books for cash, guys. We are looking for the saints that are willing to submit themselves to the process of the Lord that they may be changed and become a part of the mighty army of Jesus. So guys, I just wanna say I love you out there. I know at times I can preach hard, I can preach strong, but the whole goal is that we may be set free for after all, that's why the Lord brought the gospel. That's why the spirit of the Lord was upon him to set the captives free, to bind the broken heart, to heal them that are bruised, to, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord and to restore sight to the blind. That's all we're doing. That's all we're doing. Give everything over to Christ. Let him be your idol. Let him be your God and father. Let Jesus Christ become your husband that he may clean you up, that you may be a bride fit okay, for hit for the wedding with Jesus Christ. So I just wanna say, I love you all. Um, if you know you're not saved and nobody knows this more than you, give your life to Jesus Christ today while there is time. Repent of your sins, turn from your wicked ways. You know, believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. If you confess your sins, our God is faithful and just to forgive us of your sins, to give us of, the, of our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We've got to give things over to Jesus, guys. We've got to give it to him. He is our life. Without him, guys, we cannot live. Without Jesus, you're the walking dead. Believe, okay, guys, that Jesus is the only way and that he is coming back for a church without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. Get baptized, spend time with him, get into his word and watch him change you daily into his image, from faith to faith, glory to glory. So let's pray, guys. If anybody has any questions or any prayer requests, you know, uh, put them in the description box. But if not, let us close in prayer. 
Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God. Lord, if I said anything ill-advised with my lips, anything not of your spirit, anything not that you wanted to bring forward, Lord, I ask that you show me that I may repent, that I may uh, get it right with you, Lord, that I may stay in good standing with you. But Lord, I thank you for the brethren near and far. I thank you for my sisters in Christ. I thank you for Sister Melissa, Sister Sarah, Sister Naomi, Sister Dana, Sister Barbara, Sister uh, Naima, uh, Sister Tara, uh, Sister Heather, uh, so many, Lord, out there, Sister Latoya, Sister Tatiana. Lord, I just thank you for the sisters, Lord, that you are building up, that you are using. Sister Teresa in Texas, Lord, Sister uh, Teresa Granados, Lord, I pray that you watch over our mighty sisters, Lord, that you build them up, that you fill them with your spirit, that you breathe on them, that they may be the woman of God that you called them to be. And I pray for the brothers out there. I pray for Coach P. I pray for Pastor Price. I pray, Lord, for Brother Frederick tonight. I pray for Brother Cord, Brother Sal. I pray for Brother Rashid, Brother Baines. I pray for Brother Omar. I pray for all the brethren that are in this thing, Lord. Brother Rock T in Australia, Brother Greg in Italy, Lord. I thank you for more brothers, Lord. Brother West, Brother Derek, Brother Timothy, so many, Lord, that, that hear you, Lord, and desire to be like you. I pray, Lord, for a special anointing that you fill them with your spirit, that you live and walk in them that you may have them like they will have their being in you, that you may do what you need to do, that we may wage an effective warfare for the, for the Lord, that we may slay the devil, that we may be men over the homes, that we may be husbands unto our wives, that we may be ministers without blame, without fear, without compromise, that's willing to give all things over to you. Lord God, I pray, Send your spirit in this crucial hour that you may amalgamate your army full of your spirit, that we may try it over the devil and leave our mark here for you, that you may get the praise, all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' mighty, holy and precious name we pray, amen. So I just wanna say guys, that's gonna wrap it up for tonight. Tomorrow night's teaching will be called Oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. That's gonna be at 7.30 uh, Pacific time, 10.30 Eastern time. I just wanna say brethren that I love you all. Don't forsake your prayer closet, spend time with the Lord. Give all things over to Jesus Christ that we may do an end time work for him. Support Dunamis Tabernacle. I thank you for all the brothers and sisters that support this ministry. Without you, there's not a lot that we can do, but thank you for the brethren that see the cause. And thank you for those pastors and ministers out there like Pastor Price that tell the truth. And I just wanna say guys, I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries. Soundthetrumpetministries.com. If it's been a blessing to you, subscribe to the channel and share. Okay, so I love you all, guys. Spend time with the Lord. See you tomorrow night if you're able to be up. Have a good night.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.